Welcome to another exciting episode of LingoFest, a weekly podcast where we discuss digital audio and cutting-edge human language-based technology, robots that converse with humans, and how we can raise awareness in ourselves and those we engage to ensure that we build a healthy, sustainable future. This podcast is brought to you by Rokos. Companies with limited IT budgets and personnel can now get the same cybersecurity protection as big enterprises. Rokos' Secure Access Service Edge, SASE solution, with zero trust, provides enterprise-grade comprehensive cybersecurity so that you can focus on your business. For more, please visit rokos.com. That's R-O-Q-O-S.com. And now here's your host, Dr. Ahmed Bouzid, founder and CEO of Witlingo. Right? Um, so, so that we can get into the nitty gritty of what you guys do and try to tease out differences between your approach and that of the currently established approach, which is statistical you know, uh, analysis, right? So, and let's take within that, let's take the, the problem of sentence completion, um, okay? Uh, so today sentence completion is done uh, through brute force, right? And I see the manifestations of the brute force um, in the following way. Uh, brute force means, I think they collect lots, like for example, even more specifically as far as sentence completion, let's look at Google's sentence completion within Gmail. All right. Um, so there, there's a there is a there is a setting where you can say yes, please help me complete my sentence because I don't have time, or you can turn it off. You know, I turned it off immediately because it was way too annoying. Um, um, but it also has um sort of it does a red underline if it's a typo, right, or it's misspelling. Fine, that's good, it's useful. But then it does a blue underline when it thinks that your sentence is um, weird and even though it is grammatically correct, probably it might not be what you wanted to write, right? Um, and so from there, you can tell that the reason uh, why it's doing the blue is because um, that phrasing is not normal, meaning much, a lot more phrasings are not like that than like that, right? Um, for example, you can say, let's do a meeting tomorrow, right? And it's just, uh, let's have a meeting tomorrow. But let's do a meeting is, is, is there's, a, there's a nuance between the two that uh, I would like to use. And there are lots and lots of examples like that, right? <clears throat> so that's an example of where it's using purely statistical because the vast majority of, of, the of the things it has seen are, let's have a meeting. It says, maybe you wanted to say, let's have a meeting, okay? Um, so I just want, I'm laying this out for the audience so that they understand what I mean when I say statistically informed algorithms. Um, so not that you, that I'm not going to ask you to tell me how you would solve that necessarily, uh, you know, in your model, but, uh, how, how, how are you different? If that's the key difference, how you, uh, or, or that it's an interesting difference to point out, to, uh, highlight what you guys do between what you do and say that particular way of going about things, which is statistically informed. It, it might be easier to talk about, just, uh, how we're how we're creating the model first yeah, yeah go for and it then, okay. and then and yeah, then diving absolutely. in um so so early we talked about finding all of the distinctions of theoretical interest in a data set mm -hmm. 
that differs entirely from just finding examples of what you're looking for so that you can learn the statistical uh, weights within that data set. So when you find all distinctions and theoretical interest, you're able to take that and structure it in a way that uh, basically mimics the flow of context within the data set. Um, we talk about context a lot with uh, how we build our models and the way that we've approached this is at least in language, context is constituted by distinctive word combinations. So uh, when you think of, of what is the context of a sentence, there are certain words that are happening in combination that give that sentence its meaning. In order does matter that there, there are certain ways that words are used, but it's the words in combination that are carrying the weight of what is, what is it that's being said. So by focusing on finding distinctive word combinations, the word combinations that are making a, a set of data unique or, or distinctive uh, is what we're structuring within our model. So once you have these distinctive word combinations and you structure them, there is no difference in the meaning of the sentence, let's set a meeting, or uh, what if we set a meeting, right? The, the, the words that are being used are happening in combination in a way that, that is uh, predictable. Okay, so, I, so the, uh, are you using statistical methods behind the scene, or are you introducing some semantics, or are you, what's the, what's the, the magic, um, can, if you can point to it, that tells me that, hey, this is what's driving, I, I can tell you that what's driving the statistical one is the probability of one word following another word having seen what, I have se what we have seen so far, and hence the importance of feeding it as much as possible, right? So what happened before, what happened after, and this is at the word level, and also at the coincidence of, of, of those words within, a cat, within, say, a category, classifications right so if a certain words or certain clusters of words um or certain sequ sequences of words happen to be um uh, closer to each other when we're talking about i don't know uh, the category of um like the example of blinking lights so people ask about blinking lights right so if you see you know all these colors green yellow and you see blinking and you see lights and you see rapid, and they all happen in, in, at the higher frequency, uh, and, that, and they all belong together, those sentences belong to one category, which is, oh, they're asking about lights, right? Um, and then you see another category, which has to do with, you know, um, you know my, the quality of my uh, Wi-Fi is not good, uh, and I'm getting intermittence, and you see the frequency of those coinciding, so you created clusters, right? Then you say, what oh, it's over there. So there it's, it's distances between words and distances between sentences and so on. And I understand that mechanism, right? Mm -hmm. um, in your case, what is, what is the glue or what is the, what was the thread that's um, allowing us to go about doing, let's say, if you want to solve the problem of saying this sentence it belongs to this kind of category and therefore provided this answer, just to point to a concrete sure. problem. So when we approach it, we or approach any problem, uh, we're not approaching it with any assumptions of what classifications matter. So in your example of blinking lights, we're not going to go ahead and 
label all all colors or all ways that something might be blinking uh, or, or be uh, written as blinking. Um, our method is actually very similar. It's, it's analogous to the self self supervised learning method, where we make no assumptions and we are continuously looking at the data with respect to say a, a random representation of that data and seeing what patterns or, or what distinctions can be made with respect to uh, something that might appear random, right? So if it's, we're, we're saying that anything that is above random should be theoretically interesting, that there's a, a pattern that exists there. And so once you have all of these patterns laid out uh, and structured within a model, you can then see within different segments of the model uh, clusters like what you're saying, because they're going to erect themselves naturally. Blinking lights will occur within the same contexts, just differing in, uh, in type or, or type is probably too broad, but differing in exactly the, the instance of color or the instance of you know, speed of blinking. Um, things like that uh, aren't carrying the day for context. They're simply the specifics of uh, what might occur within a set of, of more common contexts. Okay. Um, all right. So maybe uh, um, I'm just trying to get it to a point where I can say I grasp it. Um, mm -hmm. so, uh, I, so the ontology of, let's say, the first, let's call it the predominant algorithm are, are words, right? Um, those words have properties and then sets, right? That's another object, right? So that's the ontology. And then there are functions that are applied to these, you know, to these, uh, to these, to these objects. Um, and, 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 and then there are properties that these categories have with each other. So a, you know, a, a category or a, a group contains a bunch of of sentences which are themselves made up of words. So that's sort of the ontology there, right? These are the things that are manipulated. Mm -hmm. um, and these translate in, when you, when you turn into a computer program an algorithm into data structures and algorithms and, and uh, you know, and, and also, <clears throat> and, uh, you know, and, and, and the, the words and the, they have properties, which is, you know, assigned a statistical um, number uh, when we compare two words and so on and so forth. So you see where once you define how you slice the world, right, you can do things with it. How do you guys slice the world? Um, say for this example of where you're trying to complete a sentence. What are the elements of your, of, of the ontology? So you're right with, with saying that words, sentences, I'd go as far as documents or even books, you know, you have different containers that you're considering on the front end before you, you feed the algorithm, you, before you start training. Um, you have the, the smallest elements, which being words, and then you have word combinations, right? So you're, you're slowly building these n-grams that are helping you understand the context, helping you understand what is happening uh, within whatever the container you began with. Mm -hmm. 
as you structure those based on how those n-grams are contributing to context, you begin to have a, a growing sequence of, of word combinations that are, the, the larger that it, it grows, the more likely you're going to end at a, a very specific n-gram, right? Every, every concurrent n-gram is leading to uh, a more likely n-gram, right? Be, because certain things aren't, aren't going to be said once uh, the context has been set, okay. right? So, um, yeah, I'm, 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 st I'm starting to understand. <clears throat> so um, uh, let's do a, a, like a little exercise possible, right? Let's okay. say, let's say, um, let's say somebody, um, let's say I have a, I have an algorithm. Let's say your black box, right? Um, and then your black box has seen so far folks asking about uh, the blinking lights problem, right? Uh, and the questions so far that have been addressed to it uh, are, you know, I see a, you know, a red blinking light. And another one says, I see lots of blinking lights. Another one says, I see white blinking lights. Let's say variations of these have been seen. But somebody comes in and says, um, the, the green light keeps on blinking, right? Oh, well, no, sorry. The green light keeps on flashing. So green, you haven't seen it. And flash, you haven't seen it. Um, but you've seen somebody talk about blinking red lights. So how would you, how would you take that and say, I'm not going to choke on this. Here's how I'm not going to choke on it. How would you not choke on it? So we, we haven't approached this problem. Uh, the, you know, starting out, we've said, if it exists in the data set, we will be able to find a place for it within our models. So if green has never existed, if flashing has never existed, our model in its rawest form does not react to those, those new words, the, those new introduced elements. Um, a, you know, one, and this is theoretical because we haven't attempted this, but I would imagine that given, given a large enough data set, whether or not it, it is, you know, relevant to this specific use case, you might be able, through the finding of distinctions in that large data set, you might be able to start drawing um, associations, uh, as we were saying earlier, between, you know, flashing and blinking or red and green once flashing or blinking has been set. Um, so we, we definitely can't do anything with it if it has not existed in the data set, but given it does exist in the data set, uh, there is likely a path to, to seeing that those, you know, two words or two word pairs are related uh, in some clear way. So you're not using an extra an external semantic um, mapper that says blink. Not yet. Not no, and we, we certainly could add it as kind of a, an inference layer on top of the raw model. But is, is the uh, sorry is the um, is is your is your is the is the fact that you're not using it is that um, in principle or is just you didn't get to it um, meaning do you plan to solve the problem without needing to lean on the semantic um, representation? That would be ideal. Uh, and so far in our testing, we have not needed it. 
but that does not mean that at some point for more complex problems, uh, we will never need it. Um, it. It's certainly something we can consider. Uh, it just depends on what is the use case, what is the end yeah. goal uh, of building one of these models. Okay, so is, because um, <clears throat> now I, uh, maybe I've been unfair in focusing on similarities as opposed to differences. Would you say that your, um, your method is able to, um, to say that this thing doesn't belong in this category as, as opposed to this thing belong in this category? Is that sort of the engine um, that is driving you guys and, and you're hoping that you'll get enough traction with, um, with that so that you don't need as much data? Um, so let's say, for example, you have, you have this covered. I know you, you're saying you don't, you don't announce categories. Let's say you've got enough data and you have discovered that there are three categories. Would that be fair to say, or am I? So um, potentially, I, I'd say right now we are definitely looking at nameless categories so that they're empty. They're they are differentiated within the model, but they do not have labels. Um, yeah, no labels. Let's say, but but, but be similar to like how self-supervised learning works, you can add a supervised layer after the fact, right? Where you're adding classifications um, that, that might help. So, yeah. and I'm, all I'm going for is that is something that we are capable of doing is adding that second layer that if, if a human has seen that and, and knows exactly what they're looking at, we can also train the model or teach the model those things. Yeah. Well, let's, let's keep the, go ahead, go ahead. Matt. I just want to interject uh, quickly. Um, I'm going to use an analogy, the way a child learns language far, uh, earlier than learning the concept of noun, verb, adjective. We just learn it um, through, it, it's a combination of through repetition, but then, um, sorry, I need, I need to think, say this carefully. We learn yeah. it through repetition, but with what is behind our thinking is going after um, distinctions I apologize. I should not have interjected. <laughs> I don't know if you no, no, we can on, cut that on. out. I, I want to say that uh, the way a child learns language long before learning categories of noun, verb, adjective, they learn it through repetition, but then also with their natural curiosity that mm -hmm. would recognize this is different from that. Yeah. And yeah. I guess the... I apologize. I'm, I'm messing up our call right now because no, no, um, you're fine. You're fine. I had something to say and I've lost it. Um, it's okay. Um, let me let me go back to. Uh, I'm sure you'll come back uh, as I um, sort of take a step back because um, I don't want to go to. We'll get to the point where hey, if we if we add these three things and it'll be perfect and whatever. But I want to stay in the pure form of the thing, right? So you're saying that you have a bunch of of data that came in. The thing categorizes, doesn't create labels. On these categories, right? And it, the main thing that's in that's in, that's informing and driving its categorization, labelless categorization, is differences, right? Distinctions, right? Um, so this thing is not the same as this thing, and so it belongs here. Um, um, so my my question is, how does it say that these two things um, belong together? Is just because um, it doesn't belong with any of the other ones more than it doesn't belong to these guys. Is it like, and I, so, right. The, um, 
earlier, uh, and this was maybe 30 minutes ago, uh, Ben was saying that neural networks are able to draw connections uh, for the purpose of producing habits uh, better than us. And I actually, I don't know that that's true. Um, and it's applicable here uh, because the, the distinctive combinations that we've been talking about, they exist in containers, right? The, the, the original containers that we're looking at naturally. So yeah. the, the data coming in has a natural shape. It has a, this natural association that is allowing for us uh, to identify distinctions while taking into account the shape of the incoming containers. Okay. Okay. So, um, and so you you end up with clusters that that you created as a result of having focus on differences as opposed to similarities, right? Um, okay. And then those those differences are um, what is what is what what makes a a different? Let's say there is A, B, and C, and A is more different than B than it is to C. Okay. I'm assuming that's sort of kind of a the molecular level, how things are going. So you have A and there's B, and there's C it's saying I'm more different from B than to C. Mm -hmm. right? And um, and if I have lots of other things and uh, A is different from C and D and E and uh, then then B, then A and B sort of belong together because they are least least dissimilar. Is that right? Is that a way to do it? Okay. Um, and so um, how do you do the similarity without having properties? Um, what is how do you how do you measure distance between A and B? Is it not just another way of saying similarity to a certain extent, or is it um, or is, um, some missing something here? What is what is the what is the what is the, the difference between similarity and dissimilarity? Um, you know, um, other than dissimilarity is one minus similarity. If we were doing statistics, I think it's um, just that, <laughs> like we're just looking at dissimilarity uh, in word combinations. Word combinations, okay. So okay. right, and the similarity is taken into account by the natural shape of the incoming data. Okay, so um, the, the 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 sequence blue blinking lights and blue flashing lights, right? Between the two, there's one difference, right? And when it says um, blue um, and orange um, uh, balls, right? Well, these, these, this one is different from the other two. Is that right? Mm -hmm. uh, and you're looking at it that way? So right. So the, um, the first two would definitely be correlated in some way because they, they do share similarities naturally in, in that they're sharing elements. But the third one would have no similarity because our model doesn't know anything about color or yeah. know, ball or light. Well, I, I guess I'm, I'm trying to understand because the first one, distance between the dissimilarity between the first one and second one, and the second one, sorry, between the first one and third one. So the first one is the blue blinking lights, the second one is blue flashing lights, the third one is blue and orange balls, right? So the first one, the similarity between this one and the third um, is greater than the similarity between the first one and the second one. Correct. Yeah. Right? And therefore, Part, yeah. 
part of uh, you know the way our models work is we're we're generally looking at slightly larger containers. So blue flashing light, blue blinking light. Given however we've ingested what, what the source we're we're ingesting this data from, if this is Q and A for mm-hmm. some kind of uh, a hardware problem, that's going to be there are going to be a lot of other verbs. Uh, and nouns yeah. and adjectives distinctively used about hardware problems. Yeah. If we're talking about balls, balls get used in a, you know, they're going to be associated with words like play, game, et cetera. So part of the strength of this is looking at the, the broader contexts and, you know, how are we going to overcome a blinking versus flashing thing? If what we're running, you know, if the, the containers going in, these are grouped as conversations, let's say we're feeding it with um, Q and A with tech to su- tech support. Uh, you know, a tech a technician is going to know that blinking and flashing are synonymous, and is going to then recommend this is what the probable issue is. So it's other data that in the training data it's going to show up. Both blinking and flashing are associated with X problem, yeah. where you know another colored light that might be associated with a totally different set. So the blinking and flashing, that's, I think that's just not going to, um, it's probably not going to show up as distinguished in the training data. So in that it's not going to blinking versus flashing, isn't going to help us discriminate among subsets of the training data. So um, I don't see like, if we're focusing on very narrow phrases where part of the strength is, focusing on broader containers. Yeah. So if we're looking at sentence completion, mm-hmm. you know, those are tough because if you're dealing with very short sentences, um, that's not very easy. But if we're dealing with longer sentences, the more words we've got to work with, the more likely we're going to distinguish um, what's unique about the context that comes out as a sentence goes on and be able to give very precise responses um, towards the end. And because it's, we're going by difference, dissimilarity is what drives this. Uh, we can get these precise responses at, off of yeah, okay. very uh, little. I think I'm understanding. Um, and also it, uh, it provides with the way, uh, I think to learn, right? So <clears throat> let's say I, let's say I, um, I don't know, let's say I, uh, <clears throat> I'm somebody who just emigrated to Quebec, right? And, and in Quebec, they have certain weird words they use even in English, let's say. Uh, maybe and vice versa, right? And then they say, and then I'm 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 a I'm a support person, and I'm getting these calls, and somebody says I see um, uh, blue flashing lights, blue blinking lights. I know what those means. And then they, you all of a sudden they use something. I, I see these um, these blue groking lights, all right. And I have never heard of that word, um, but because I I've, I've I, I, uh, I, you know I'm, I'm smart enough to say oh probably it means flashing, right? All of a sudden, I've learned this word called groking, which I've never seen before, and I'm going to add it to my vocabulary, and I have learned something, right? Um, because it's different, but at the same time, it falls within a category, and the difference didn't trip me. Is that sort of the strength of what you guys are providing is how to leverage difference and beyond that not to be tripped by difference, as opposed to um, the other one, which which really looks constantly for similarities between um, between categories and so forth. I think that is our biggest strength. Um, so when we are looking at a data set, I was saying earlier, you know, we find all distinctions of theoretical interests and then we 
we structure that within one of our models. What is nice about this structure that is you know, totally different from how a neural network is structured is that for, so because we're starting with context and because we're, we're predicting you know, from you know, one set of context to the next to the next, uh, in, increasing sequences of context. Um, if you have something that is, let's just say an outlier, so something you've never seen before and something that is behaving differently than anything you've seen before, there will be a place within the model because it is occurring in combination with other contexts. So no matter the outlier and no matter the, the new distinction that needs to be made, there is a place within the model that we can fit it. Okay. I think, um, I think we've, got, we've gone deeply enough for the audience, probably the, the, their eyes have glazed over a long time ago. Um, but hopefully <clears throat> in your page, when we publish this, uh, we'll add a couple of articles so they can go and read some more and get in depth because this is trying to go deep by just talking and you can only go so far, yeah, right? Sure. Especially with somebody like me who's not very well versed. You guys have all these categories in your head and you're like, what does me understand this? It's obvious, right? Um, so before we go, um, the hour is is up and is it? Wow. Okay. Well, it was went by very fast for me. I don't know about you, um, but um, <clears throat> I just want to ask about the. You guys are um, Ben. Uh, you are with Atlantic Merchant Capital Investors. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, about that and what what you guys focus on? That's our family office. So I manage investments on behalf of the family, largely um, community banks, some real estate, um, tech. Um, trying to think, what are our other major buckets of investments? Just just a, a range. We've got we had uh, you know a, a taco restaurant, uh, all kinds of. We no longer own that one, but a, a wide variety of investments, largely. Um, picked up along the way from relationships we've developed and then our father's uh, career as a serial entrepreneur. So always an interesting variety of uh, yep. investments. And then uh, Sam, <clears throat> you're founder of, uh, how do I say it, Edetic? Idetic. Idetic uh, Ventures, what, what, what do you guys do there? Uh, so it's my venture capital firm. Uh, I started it about a year ago and we look primarily in emerging technology investments or uh, companies that are working in uh, emerging technology. Um, I, the, the thesis that I've been working from uh, has primarily focused on uh, companies that are building data assets and then either applying uh, one of three technology types. Uh, so machine learning, uh, blockchain, or uh, quantum computing. What is quantum computing? <laughs> uh, so quantum computing is, uh, it's an emerging style of computation. Um, it takes advantage of certain characteristics within quantum physics that allow for you to uh, compute more data simultaneously than uh, the classical approach. It, it uses uh, a fundamental uh it's not a bit, it's called a qubit, and it's able to take uh, far more data into account at the same, at a single moment than a bit can. 
Yeah, and is it is it still in the labs mainly, or is it, are we seeing it, it more? It is. Uh, it is still in the labs when it comes to scale. Although I know Google last week was publishing uh, some breakthroughs that they've made. Um, there have been successful uh, computations that have outperformed anything that a classical computer could do, um, but nothing at a scale that is uh, in like ready for industry. And you think um, how long? We're, we're probably five to 10 years out before uh, we start seeing uh, the entire quantum industry ramp up, but I, I think it's highly probable within that time period. Okay. Uh, and last question is, uh, can I ask you about Fisher Fox films? <laughs> uh, it's funny. We were talking about that this morning. Um, it was a single investment in a film uh, that was produced by one of our uh, LPs related to Atlantic Merchant. Um, they uh, decided to go into filmmaking and they, uh, they've done three films so far, I think. And we did, we joined their second one. It was uh, the movie Inheritance and it starred Li Lily Collins and Simon Pegg. It's, I think it's on Amazon. So, you know, I recommend if you uh, would like to watch a thriller. What is that? Is that a comedy or is that? Uh... No, it's, um, it's a, it's a thriller, I think is the yeah. right genre. And it's, um, it's about a family where the uh, the father left, he, he passes away and his inheritance uh, turns out to include a man that he has kept captive for many years. And so it's the unfolding of uh, his daughter realizing what he's done. I'll check it out. Um, I, I mentioned it because I, uh, <clears throat> I'm hunting around for somebody who can help me on this project, um, so you you've heard of Alexa, right? Obviously, mm -hmm. I was on Alexa, right? And there's maybe you haven't heard about how uh, these moms whose uh, kids are called Alexa has had their lives turned upside down in a very dramatic way, right? Um, so for us who are not involved, we might find it amusing and all that, but it's real, right? Serious and so forth and all. Uh, and so there's the whole, this whole movement. It's fascinating because I think it may be a representative of the future, this clash between robots who are starting to invade our life world, right? For example, names of human beings, right? So Siri and all that, okay, fine. But when you have millions and millions of people saying, Alexa, 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 do this for me. Alexa, do that for me. You can easily imagine how if you're a 12-year-old girl, how boys would be saying nasty things like Alexa do X and X is a nasty thing, right? Ha ha ha. And then a girl becoming traumatized over it. So I raised that because I, you know, I'm hunting around, looking around for somebody who might be interested in doing a documentary. So I'll talk to you since you are uh, an aficionado um, and an entrepreneur in that world. Yeah, I'm sure I could make an introduction. Yeah. How does it, how do they call it? Impresario. You're an empresario. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All right, wonderful. Guys, this was this was a lot of fun for me. I know I grilled you and thank you so much for putting up with me. Um uh, uh hopefully the, the audience will will be curious enough to follow through with reading about this. Um again, if you guys can give me some links so I can I guarantee you a lot of people will be interested in what you guys are doing. 
Um, and if you if you are making the proposition that you believe you have something that competes for real against statistical model, and you know there's a lot of negative stuff now being said about the statistical model. For example, there was I'll send you a link if you haven't seen it. This conversation with Noam Chomsky, who is extremely against this. Uh, you know, he says this is not the way to solve things as far as AI is concerned. This heavy data. Um, you know, we're just, we're sort of abusing the resources that we have because, you know, it takes a lot of energy to collect all that data when we should be putting all those billions of dollars into something that's far smarter um, if we put our heads to it. Anyway, so I think you guys are onto something for sure. Um, and thank you again for making the time. Thank you for hosting us and thank thanks you. for uh, putting up with our first attempt at putting all of this into words. <laughs> it's hard, <laughs> it's hard, you know, you know language, uh, like uh, Wittgenstein said, right? It's very, at some point you need to stop talking and, start and go and do and prove. <laughs> it's yes. hard. All right, guys. Thank you so much. See you.